As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I'm Allie Wolf, a TV news reporter taking on my biggest assignment yet, motherhood. Get ready to feel inspired and connected as we explore the journey into mom life. This is the Mom's Calling Podcast. There's such a mom-shaming culture, and we internalize that even at a young age. So it's really hard to be like, okay, I was the best mom I could be today. Welcome to another episode of Mom's Calling. Thank you so much for listening. It makes me really happy to hear from you and to know that these episodes are resonating. Today's conversation is honest and vulnerable. The topic is mental health. My guest is Riley Blanton, the mom behind the awesome website, Postpartum Brain. Riley writes and shares resources on mental health in a way that's really approachable and educational. In this interview, we get into everything, postpartum anxiety and depression, but also postpartum rage, birth trauma, control issues, parenting in the age of social media, navigating unexpected change, plus getting past fear to put yourself out there and pursue your goals. Riley is open and honest about her mental health struggles, and I hope you enjoy hearing her story and her perspective. First, though, a quick disclaimer. This interview is simply a conversation between two moms. It is not meant to be taken as medical advice. With that, let's get to the interview. Riley, thank you so much for joining Mom's Calling. I'm so excited to have you today. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, no, I want to get started with talking about your website because that is sort of how I got introduced to you and to your Instagram and everything. And I think you have so many amazing resources on there. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about Postpartum Brain and what your mission is and, and why you decided to start the website. Yeah, so um, for my son, he's 18 months old now. Um, I had a really hard pregnancy for him. I battled a lot of just feeling depressed and relationship issues that came with the stress of an unexpected pregnancy. And then when I had him, it was um, a pretty traumatic birth. I had an emergency C-section with him, and then he had to spend some time in the NICU a few days. So being separated from him really led to just my postpartum anxiety skyrocketing. I couldn't be in a different room than him. And it was really hard for me. And all the resources and sites that I found online were all like Healthline or WebMD or things with very clinical language 
that I couldn't understand when I was sleep deprived and covered in milk, even though I have a bachelor's in psychology and I'm pursuing a master's in family therapy, I still couldn't understand it. So I knew that moms that didn't have that background couldn't understand it either, um, which is why I really formed the website. And I always refer to postpartum brain as like the site that I needed. And that's really carried through with my mission. I always refer back to like, how did I feel during this situation? And using the language that I would have easily understood. I really love that. And it really comes across when I when I read what you have to say, because I remember also being pregnant and postpartum. And you just, I mean, people say not to Google things, but everybody does it. And it leads you down this rabbit hole. And I think that it's really nice to have a place that you can feel comforted. And I think it's really easy to feel alone in the experience, especially if you're young, if you don't have a lot of friends in it at the moment. I love that you're doing that with the clinical, taking away the clinical language Mm -hmm. and speaking like a human. So I'm wondering how, because it's a lot of uh, mental health topics. And I think that can be a really scary thing for people to talk about. So I'm wondering, how do you go about talking about it? And how do you recommend that pregnant or postpartum moms think about um, their mental health during pregnancy and just kind of getting comfortable with thinking and talking about it? I have had depression and anxiety in my past. And I think that really boosted me because my husband and I, um, when I was pregnant, we had those conversations of, okay, these are the things to look for. These are how I cope negatively. These are how I cope positively. Um, And just being open and honest with him. So he is the one that actually came to me during postpartum. And he was like, look, I think you're experiencing postpartum rage and gave me an ultimatum, um, you could say, of finding a therapist because it just reached a point where I needed that help. According to the CDC, about one in eight women say they experience symptoms of depression after having a baby. Unlike the baby blues, postpartum depression can start days or even months after birth. Sometimes, though, it starts before the baby's even born. With pregnancy, I think a lot of people write off their symptoms as pregnant or their symptoms of depression and anxiety as pregnancy symptoms, because I mean, a lot of it's the same, you know, fatigue, um, not having energy, things to look for are being overly worried, like to where you can't stop thinking about this certain things. The big thing is if it's interrupting your day-to-day life, that's usually signs of a bigger underlying issue than just a pregnancy symptom. And then also, if you're not showing interest in hobbies that you previously enjoyed, um, so like for me, writing, I did not want to write. And that is very uncharacteristic of me. Uh, Hobbies like that, not, you know, hiking or something, because of course, most pregnant women aren't going to want to hike, whether that was their hobby or not. But just really staying true to yourself and knowing, okay, I don't feel like myself. And this goes beyond me being my pregnant self. If you just can't get out of bed multiple days in a row, that's probably a sign. If you can't feed yourself, you can't, you don't want to take care of yourself and it's multiple days like that. That's typically how I gauge the difference in my own life and um, the lives of mamas I talk to too. 
Yeah. And you mentioned at the beginning that you had a traumatic experience and you said to me that you felt like you were in a deep pit of postpartum depression and anxiety. And I think that this is something like we were talking about that is hard to talk about. I think that you're really brave for for being so open about it. So I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about how you work through it and how you, you know, got to the other side of it because I think that people who are experiencing that can have a hard time whether it be during pregnancy or just after. Tell us a little bit about your experience and what helped you get through. With me it was mostly my postpartum anxiety. My depression was more so when I was pregnant. But with my postpartum anxiety, I was completely full of rage. I could not not be around my son, um, even if like I was in the bedroom, he was in the living room. So a lot of that was like separating myself from him little bits at a time. So if I went to Target and I planned to take an hour while my husband stayed home and watched this, our son, then if I could only do 10 minutes and only got in that parking lot, you know, those 10 minutes of practice. And then a huge thing was getting back into therapy, but getting back into it right after having a baby really helped. It brought up things that I didn't even recognize um, because at first I didn't see my birth as traumatic because I was fine with the C-section. I, you know, I was like begging for it because he, his heart rate was dropping so much that I was getting so mad that they weren't just doing that and, you know, getting him to safety. So I didn't see it as traumatic. And through therapy, I realized like, oh, it was being separated from him. That was traumatic. It was his days in the NICU. And I could see how all that aligned. And that really helped me feel less like there was something wrong with me. And I could like point to, oh, this is why I can't be away from him for too long. This is why I yell at my husband all the time. I think those are two really, really interesting things that you don't hear about often because, you know, you always hear postpartum depression and anxiety, but how does it actually manifest? And two things you said were the postpartum rage and anger, but also I want to talk, I want to talk about that, but also the separation, because, you know, even if you didn't have a traumatic birth, like I didn't have, I wouldn't call it traumatic, but also she's a COVID baby and it's hard for me. And she's exclusively breastfed probably because she's a COVID baby, but it's hard for me to be apart from her because I feel that guilt and I feel that pull. And I think that you hear about it dropping off kids at daycare, but I think if you are very attached to your child, there, there's something very psychologically difficult about releasing them and letting them do things on their own. Does it resolve itself with time or do you just keep practicing it? Like you said, with sitting in the Target parking lot, like I can remember walking around Target and being like, I need to get back. And I was frantically hurrying, but, you know, being okay with being away with your child, away from your child is, is hard. Yeah. I think a lot of moms with postpartum anxiety, They don't want to not be around their baby, but it's also they don't want the loss of control. So like they don't want daycare teachers raising the baby and making decisions or they don't want their husband, you know, parenting in his own way without their own input. That's a big thing for me. And even now, my husband and I, the thing we fight about the most is like critiquing each other's parenting just because we're so stuck in our own ways. (laughs) And I, when I leave, I know that he's going to do his own way and that's totally okay. Like he doesn't make bad decisions at all, but it's that loss of control where I'm like, Mm -hmm. 
well, you see, if you don't do this my way, then he's not going to listen to me next time I have to tell him no in my version of it. How do you let go of that control? It's practice. There's no secret tool or something to just immediately be okay with giving up control. I just think it takes practice over time. And then I also think it takes awareness. Oh, I'm feeling anxious and upset towards this person, whether that's a childcare provider or your husband or a grandma or someone. I'm feeling upset towards this person because they're in control and I'm not. When in reality, the saying that raising a child takes a village is so true. And in that village, you have to learn compromise. You have to learn control. You have to give yourself grace to be wrong in a sense, but you also have to give yourself grace to just let other people be right. It's hard. I still don't have it down. I don't think I ever will, but I try a little bit more each day. Oh yeah. I think it's parenting is going to be a long journey and I think none of us are perfect and it's important to remember that. Um, But I also want you to explain what is postpartum rage? I had never heard that, I think, until I saw a post that you did. And I was like, oh, yeah, I felt that before. Can you explain it? So I'm very outspoken about postpartum rage because I had no clue it existed until my husband found an article and came to me and was like, I think this is what you have. But postpartum rage, it can be its own thing, but more often than not, it's a symptom of postpartum depression or anxiety or OCD. And it's when you're feeling just angry. So that anger could be towards your baby. If your baby wakes up in the middle of the night and you just want to scream at them because you're tired, that's a sign. If you're feeling resentful towards your spouse or just mad at them, whether that's, you know, yelling, throwing things, and none of this means you're going to hurt your baby or your husband or anyone. It just means you're mad. Anger for everyone manifests in a different way, but typically it's cursing more than you usually would. Yelling, throwing items is a big one. Hitting items, whether that's, you know, hitting a wall or something like that. And it can be directed towards pets too. And I don't think a lot of people know that. We have a cat. So if our cat meows while our son is trying to sleep, both me and my husband get so angry because we're like, we just need the baby to sleep. So we kind of have to calm ourselves down and recognize that like, it's not her fault. She's meowing at this time. And And it's so interesting because you think about how, you know, it's a high stress situation when you have a baby and you're tired and you're learning how to be a parent and all of this. And there's a lot of emotion. And I think that it's just interesting how it can get expressed in different ways. With that, one thing that I saw on your website that was very, very thought provoking was that you said you can be a good mom with bad mental health. And I'll rephrase it by saying you can be a good mom, but not always feel good about being a mom in the moment. And I think that this is a really important topic to discuss too, because I think that motherhood is hard and the transition's hard. So I'm wondering if you can speak on just that idea of, of the fact that you're not a bad mom if you're not feeling great and enjoying every moment, right? Yeah. So I think there's this mentality of either being, either you fit the mold of a perfect mom and you have the fancy lunches and all wooden toys and everything, or you fit the mold of a hot mess mom and you're just, your life's a complete wreck. Your house is a wreck. Everything's a wreck and you're just existing. But I think there's something in the middle 
where it's okay some days I feel like a good mom and sometimes I feel like a bad mom and I don't know which one I am that's also not to say that a hot mess mom is bad mom yeah but I think in media there's just those two narratives so I think we all just need to recognize that you can try your best every day however your version of being the best is different every day so the standard of your best self could be different Monday than what it looks like on Wednesday, just depending on basically everything, your environment, the context of the day, what's happening, anything. And there's such a mom shaming culture. And we internalize that even at a young age. So it's really hard to be like, okay, I was the best mom I could be today. I think that it's really uh, human nature sort of to put ourselves in a box. Like I am this, I'm going to identify as that. And it's hard, like you said, with the media, but with social media and becoming a mom in the world of social media and people who just portray their highlight reel, which, you know, I feel like sometimes I'm guilty of it when I post a happy picture, but you know, nobody's going to post their lowest moment, but Mm -hmm. How do we navigate motherhood with social media and maintaining a good mental state when you see images of moms on social media and you you compare? I think it's also human nature to compare. Yeah, I think being aware of how much time you're spending on social media is a really big point that everyone brings up. But it's also being aware of what kind of content you are consuming, because there are those accounts that have those moments where they post very openly and transparently about their issues. And if you follow more accounts like that, then you'll kind of notice the pattern of, oh, everyone's not having a perfect day today. And that's okay, because I'm not either. The more accounts you follow like that, the more chances every single day you'll see not a negative version, but like a more real life version of what's happening. And I think too, just being true to yourself, talking with friends, talking with family, with friends and family, there is a tendency to, you know, compare and talk more about the highlights, but there's also a realistic nature to it. If you're sitting by a friend, you're more likely to share your struggles and they in turn with you. So just connecting more with the outside world. And I know that's hard, especially with, you know, the pandemic. And then some moms just don't have a support system by them. But just making the effort to do that is really important. Yeah. And and earlier, you know, you talked a lot about control. And clearly, I think you seem like me where you like to control situations and <laughs> and it's hard to release that control. And I know that your, part of your story is that the pandemic had an effect on your family and changed mm-hmm. the expectations. So I'm wondering how you, you have navigated that. Yeah, it was a lot. So we had set that I was going to stay home, as you mentioned, and my husband got furloughed. So I had to stay longer than I would have liked. And that's really also what set off because I was jealous that he was staying home with our son. I was mad. I was resentful, everything. So we actually did a lot of couples counseling (laughs) during that time to just have a third person there. And that really helped our relationship. And in turn, it helped our family because we're very open about how we're feeling, our mental health finances. And for us, our faith is a really big part of it. And I think just staying rooted in your values, whether whatever that looks like, 
can be very helpful during change. We've tried to write out our family values and over time we'll, you know, add our son's input too. But a big one for us is family time. Usually we make all day Sunday, you know, family day. And we just prioritize that. I don't work on the blog. He doesn't do his side stuff. We just do family. And then we have our date in the evenings. And I think just recognizing our values of helping others and spending more time as a family has really helped us focus more on the positives through all this change because it's a lot (laughs) recently and I know other moms feel that too. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important. And, you know, I think you are very open and I think it's important that people are open to each other in person on social media and just through motherhood and know Mm -hmm. that everybody is dealing with a lot and especially the past year and a half. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm wondering with that, you know, what has motherhood taught you or how has it changed you personally? For me, it's been a lot of less flexibility and less control as is a current theme of this talk with us, Mm -hmm. but realizing I can't control this little person. I can't control how my husband wants to parent. Um, I can't control the world situation. Um, That's really changed a lot, but it's also helped me realize like the, what things are important to me and what things don't matter as much as they should. And just having an overall more positive view, I think has helped me a lot in motherhood and just recognizing, you know, those values we talked about and recognizing, okay, he feels loved every day that's enough. Yeah, no, that's really important. I think that we all have learned in the world and mothers, especially that we cannot control the world and we have no idea what's going to come. I know that personally, I love to have a plan and Mm -hmm. throwing the plan out the window has been a good lesson in just kind of letting go of that control. Just three months after giving birth, Riley started building the postpartum brain website. It was a space to discuss mental health in a way that's comforting and relatable. For her, it's therapeutic and it's more than a creative outlet. So I went into it knowing that I wanted to talk about this, but also knowing I wanted to create a business out of this someday. So I did make a business plan and I'm very much so encouraging like slow growth is good growth because I think I, when I made this business plan, I had, you know, of course, all these big hopes and dreams. But over time, I've made several other business plans that are like the tinier steps to that, you know, I'm ready to go business plan. These are my big dreams Um, because I think it's important to one, be realistic, but two, to set achievable goals and know that you have an even bigger goal in mind. You Mm -hmm. just need to reach these, you know, smaller, but not less significant goals. I'm sitting by my desk now and I have them all all my business plans posted so that, you know, when it gets really hard, I can go and look at it. Another thing that helped me that I forget who I learned this from, but I, a lot of people talk about, you know, their ideal avatar, their ideal client. So I made one, I named her and I wrote all of her likes, all of her dislikes, what she's feeling. And I put together a bunch of graphics for it. And I have it as a little poster by my desk so I can, you know, when I read through it, it helps me get in the mindset of her. And that has really helped, whether that's creating images on Instagram or writing blog posts or just writing an email. Um, I can feel like I'm talking to this person because now it's more individualized, it's more personalized. 
I'm not just, you know, putting content on my blog that I feel like no one's reading. Um, so that has been my biggest factor in just creating an entire image that's more consistent. I think that is so cool. I have heard something similar, but I actually haven't heard that in said in that way. I love that. People can use that for a lot of different businesses and mm-hmm. especially online when you're doing this from home, you need to have that visualization. So I'm wondering how you learned. I mean, did you know how to make a website, how to make graphics, how to make any of that? Like, I'm sure there's a lot of moms out there who would want to either build a website or build something online. Like, how do you go about learning? So I have taken a lot of courses and free courses and stuff. Um, but the biggest person I've learned from, um, her name's Susie at Start a Mom Blog. That has helped me tremendously. But then also just focusing on one thing. So like focusing on setting up your website, only researching that, doing it, and then moving on to the next task. So right now I'm really working on better optimizing my site for search engines. So anytime I want to go learn something or I have some free time, I make sure it's about that instead mm-hmm. of, you know, about, Pinterest analytics or everything else that comes with running an online site. Um, So just really staying focused in looking for information that you trust, but also that's on target with your next step has really been helpful. No, I think that's a really good tip because when you're doing something online, like I've kind of dipped my toe in a couple different things, and then you can feel like you're spending a lot of time on a lot of things, but you're accomplishing Mm -hmm. nothing. So I think it's almost like batching, right? Like you're focusing on one thing, you're going to batch that one thing. And then when you complete it, you move on to the next, right? Yes. And I have a board um, with like the tiny sticky notes. And anytime I think of, you know, something else that I want to do, I quickly write it down and I put it on there so that when it's time for my next step, I can go look at my sticky notes and I can pick one. Um, But that way I don't feel like I'm going to forget it, but I also don't feel like it needs to be done right now. I think that doing this and doing, having a website, having an outlet, you love to write, doing this is in fact, probably therapeutic and good mental health Um, outlet for you. And I think that that's something also that's so important that goes into how a mom feels is having your identity. And even though you're talking about your son and you're talking about being a mom, it's still your thing. And I think that's such Mm -hmm. an important thing for moms to know and that you did this three months postpartum. I know I was starting Etsy and all of this stuff three months postpartum. And I think that, you know, it does help how you feel at the end of the day, you accomplish something, you're creating something, right? Yes, absolutely. And I would say to go along, like if there's a mom out there that's three months postpartum and wants to do something with her interest, but doesn't feel like she has the time, every single day for this journey has looked different for me. So whether that is, I only get one nap time that day, or I get three hours in the evening to work on it. Um, I just kind of take it with a grain of salt and do what I can, um, even if it's five minutes. I will say that the days that I don't work on something that's just for me, even not taking those five minutes are drastically different than when I do take those five minutes, five hours, anytime 
because it really makes a difference. I totally agree. I think it's, it's, you almost feel guilty. Like we were saying before, you feel guilty for taking that time for yourself, but you're going to be a better mom knowing that you did something for yourself. And with that, I'm wondering, can you give us a little example? Do you have a little routine, whether it's in the morning or at night, do you have routine? Say you get a good nap time or a good chunk of time to yourself. What does your routine look like for productivity and for, you know, getting things done for you? Yeah, so I have a planner that I just pretty much brain dump in my to-do list and I'll sit down if I have, you know, nap time or he's in bed for the night. I'll sit down, I'll mark one, two, three things that I would like to do in that, like ranked in that order and I'll just go through. And then if I have more time, I'll pick three more things and do it in that order. My son is not a good sleeper. So sometimes I get, you know, three hours or sometimes I get 20 minutes. So just knowing that like I worked on one task, I might not have finished it, but I did one, one step towards it has really helped. No, it's that feeling of I accomplished something and Mm -hmm. knowing that knowing what you're going to do, that you've already isolated those tasks so you can get to it. If a mom out there is thinking of starting something that those are great actionable way, actionable ways that she can she can do it. Was it always clear for you what you were going to create? Did you always want to do a website or do you have any good exercises for figuring out what that thing, that project, that business is that you want to do? Because I know for me, it was hard to to isolate and identify at first. I always knew I wanted to run a site because I always had different blogs, you could say, growing up and I've always liked to write. But something that's been different for me is I've always loved like the creation process and like messing around on the computer with just design and stuff. And so just thinking about what, what did you do in your free time when you had free time as a mom? Did you like to paint? Did you like to just sit and talk with a friend over coffee? You know, that's a good sign that you would probably like to do podcasting. Mm -hmm. There's so many skills that are could be translated into a business or digital business um, that I think we write off too often. Yes. And I think that people get scared. So did you feel scared at first showing a lot of yourself online? Because I know at first for me, and like I had a past life and a job with coworkers who I'm connected with on social media, and you don't always want to put yourself out there and, and show your beginning stages. So how did you get past that if that was hard for you? Which I imagine it's hard for everyone, right? Yes. I didn't share the site on my personal social media until I would say a little over a year in. One, because I wanted it. I worked really hard to make it something I was proud of. And then two, through basically strangers on the internet telling me that they could resonate with me, that they appreciated that. Um, it helped build my confidence just a little bit more to be able to show it to friends and family. So I just posted a link and I wrote, you know, why I started the site. I posted that on my personal Facebook and I immediately got flooded with comments. I had, um, I had a few aunts and different people reach out to me saying that like they felt that way and that they're so like proud that I was brave and sharing that. And I mean, it's silly to say, but I was like, why did I not do this sooner? Why did I not share this? But you really have to work to a place where you do feel comfortable because you don't want to do it and then regret it. Yeah, no, I wanted to ask what would be your tip to another mom who's thinking that she wanted to put herself out there? What would you say to her? I would say just take little steps. Um, So at first I didn't have my picture on the site. 
I just had my name and that made me feel more comfortable in like writing out my birth story and everything. And then over time, as I got more viewers and I started sharing a little bit more about myself, I added my picture and, um, now, you know, I'm doing podcasts and being more open about it on social media. So I think just recognizing like what will make me feel good, but also step out of my comfort zone. I think it's a it's a fine balance. And at some point, you just got to push yourself. But when you're ready, for sure, as mm-hmm. you said. Okay, at the end here, I just want to do a couple fun little questions. What are your favorite things, maybe three favorite things as a mom? I love journals and planners because (laughs) I forget everything. So I have to write everything down. The second thing is the book, Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts by Karen Kleiman. I recommend that to every single new mom. Um, It just, it's a great book. It's kind of like a comic book, but it talks about different postpartum issues, whether that be health, mental or physical, um, your relationship. And it just helps you feel less alone and gives less power, I would say, to those scary thoughts. And then a third is just my instinct. I think a lot of times we find ourselves Googling or going on Instagram or just researching anything, whether that's how you feel, what to say to a child, how your child's acting, anything. And I think just taking a moment to listen to our instinct can do wonders No, I think that's so true. I need to check out that book for sure. Do you have any other great resources that you turn to, like a great role model or a place that you go for good information as a mom? Yeah, there's a few different Instagram accounts that I follow. So Dr. Cassidy is a big one. She talks specifically about mental health. But then there's also like um, Carrie Locker has one and she used to be a Uh, postpartum nurse in the hospital. So she does a lot of, you know, the physical side, pregnancy, and um, kind of that realm, breastfeeding, and helping you feel less alone in that. Um, And then lately, I've been listening to the Minimalist Moms podcast. And I think that has helped me so much in terms of like housework, because I know we beat ourselves up over how our houses look like. And I'm slowly um, listening and taking their advice. I haven't fully decluttered and I don't Mm -hmm. think we're going to, you know, go as minimalist as possible, but it has helped in recognizing like, why do I have these objects? What areas of my house are always messy and always driving me crazy? And how can I be better at just organization and figuring out a plan in general in order to help me in the long run. Okay, perfect. Those are some great resources that we can all go and look up. Before we go, I want everyone to be able to find you, find your website and all of the, I know you have printables, you have great resources. So let us know how people can reach you. Yeah, so my site is just postpartumbrain.com and then Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest is all at postpartumbrain. So you can find me there. Okay, perfect. Riley, thank you so much for coming on Mom's Calling. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, concerns, or suggestions, I want to hear from you. Send me an email to momscallingpod at gmail.com. If you like the show, be sure to rate and review this podcast. See you next week for another episode of Mom's Calling on the Believe Network. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.